Welcome to episode 23 of Through the Noise with me, Alex Banks. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Grace Isford. Now, Grace is a principal at Lux Capital, a venture capital firm with over $4 billion in assets under management that invests in emerging science and technology ventures at the outermost edges of what's possible. Now, Grace leads investments at the nexus of Web3, data infrastructure, and applications of AI and ML from pre-seed to growth. Before joining Lux, Grace was a principal at Canvas Ventures. Whilst at Canvas, she sourced 10 investments, including open source robotic automation platform Robocore and blockchain-powered real-time data sharing platform Vendia. Now, Grace also holds a master's degree in management science and engineering from Stanford, where she is also on the board of the Stanford Technology Ventures program. Grace, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Alex, for the intro. Very excited to be here. My pleasure. Now, you became a full-time investor in 2019 after starting as a campus scout whilst attending Stanford University. Uh, but yeah, I, I went to Stanford uh, not expecting to, to join the world of venture capital or startups and, and kind of fell into it. Um, I, I did something at Stanford called the Mayfield Fellowship Program. Uh, this is an awesome work-study program, a group of 12 students where they train you to kind of be a, a, a valuable member of a high-growth startup. And I had this very fortunate opportunity to have incredible mentors everyone from really, you know, top venture capitalists at Silicon Valley firms, and also get to know a lot of really, you know, successful operators, you know, alums of the program are, are folks like Josh Reeves, the CEO of Gusto, uh, Kevin Sistrom, uh, founder of Instagram, and then, you know, a lot of really prominent venture capitalists as well. And that really opened my eyes to the opportunity of, wow, you know, there's a really cool way I can have an impact in my career, uh, work at, you know, a high growth startup or be involved with high growth startups um, and, and enjoy myself. And so the Mayfield Fellowship at Stanford was really a pivotal time for me to, to kind of open my eyes to the opportunity. Um, that led me to kind of getting to know more tech and startups. I worked in product at, at a company called Handshake, which is kind of like a LinkedIn for college students. Um, and then that led uh, to doing a short student growth equity at a firm called Stripes uh, in New York. Um, at, when I went back to my master's at Stanford, I realized, you know, I really enjoyed working on the ground floor uh, of startups like at a handshake, but I wanted to kind of get a sense of of looking at more than one, right? How did handshake and in, in the ed tech world fit into the, the broader kind of tech landscape? Um, and so that led me uh, to kind of look to early stage venture. I was actually introduced to Canvas Ventures uh, where I started my career in venture through uh, a peer of mine uh, on an organization on campus called Stanford Woman in Business. Um, and, and she was like, you know, you should just get to know these folks. Uh, they have this cool kind of campus scout program. Um, and kind of by a stroke of luck, uh, became this part-time scout where I was helping them source early stage tech companies. Um, and, and so that was how I originally got in. I was working part-time uh, while I was still uh, at university. And uh, led to kind of a fortuitous uh, job uh, after uh, university as well. Yeah, super interesting with regards to the Mayfield Fellowship Program. Obviously, having these you know thought leaders, these incredible mentors from top Silicon Valley firms. I'm I'm really curious. You know, working with Handshake, has there ever been any pullback across to the founding or operating side? I mean, I think. Operating is extremely valuable. Uh, and when I talk to folks interested in getting into to venture capital, I, I would highly recommend uh, working and operating uh, to the extent you can, because I think it just gets a great, uh, a great sense of empathy 
right? Of understanding how hard it is to build a, a huge company, uh, how ruthless prioritization is in every sector of the org when you have constrained resources and are trying to grow at, at rapid pace and, and prioritize, you know, shipping a fantastic product in every dimension and work, you know, uh, you know, long hours uh, to kind of make those things a reality. Um, I think operating is something that I, I enjoy and I, I feel very grateful to be able to scratch the itch through the companies I work with. You know, I like getting really involved, especially around go-to-market strategy with companies I work with and how that go-to-market strategy intertwines with product strategy. So, you know, while I'm not necessarily building the product, um, I feel like I get more of that operating itch from working with a variety of early stage companies I work with. Interesting. And I'm really curious to know, look, what are some of the biggest takeaways from your upbringing, Grace, that you've taken across to investing today? That's a good question. Um, I think a few things. One, just, you know, enjoy meeting people and learning from other folks. Uh, I've always been a pretty intellectually curious person, going down rabbit holes, a voracious reader, uh, and anything. Stanford really brought out those great qualities. It's such an intellectually curious campus. But um, in investing, my job every day is, you know, getting to know and meeting smart people, I think you can learn something from everyone. And so being, you know, taking that learning intellectual curiosity mindset to every, you know, either new investor or new company or new expert in a field that I meet, and then taking that uh, to try to apply it to a potential new investment or, you know, working with an existing uh, company. So I think that one is, is crucial, you know, always that, that willingness to learn and being intellectually curious. Uh, I think too, just, you know, hardworking hustle, diligence, you know, I, I am younger uh, for kind of where I am in the field. And I would impart it, you know, mostly to, to working really hard, you know, uh, just proving myself as a hard worker and a quick learner. Um, and I think that's, you know, I'd recommend that to anyone, regardless of what career they're in. Uh, and then the third thing I'd say is just, you know, building relationships. At the end of the day, it's really building great relationships with your, your team members at your, your firm, uh, obviously the founders you work with. Um, and then, you know, other folks in the ecosystem, the number of deals I've sourced through, you know, reciprocal relationships with another investor who I really respect or through, you know, an operator angel who I've built a long relationship with. I think those are, are really priceless uh, relationships that are really pay, pay it forward uh, in the venture industry as well. Why is a willingness to learn critical in this space as an investor? And at least how does it allow you, Grace, to detect the next great trend? Yeah, uh, I think it's one of the most valuable skills you can have. Um, that humility and willingness to learn is how you kind of see what's coming, right? The whole idea of venture capital is investing, and especially at Lux, is we want to invest in the future and what's coming next. And uh, if you or I knew what was coming next, you know, uh, that would be awesome. But but it's really hard to do. And I think the only way to truly you know, be at the forefront of technology and be able to kind of invest in the next top tech trend is to be learning things you don't know. Um, and of course, reading history and, and training yourself on past narratives and understanding, you know, what's happened in the past, but taking, you know, those data points of the past and being able to challenge them and learn, you know, what could be different or what is new or what is changing from a technological perspective uh, in X, Y, or Z market. So I think it's actually absolutely critical for any good investor to be constantly learning both from other people but also from you know new you know tech trends that are happening in the market there's a quote by the great mark twain who says history doesn't repeat itself but it often rhymes and i i think at least with respect to investing grace look is is 
reading and understanding history, um, or at least let me slightly reframe that. Why is reading and understanding history important? You know, we, we've we've got this willingness to learn, but perhaps looking back, how does that help us look forward? Yeah. Um looking back at history is critical. I think it's history. I, I mean, I kind of dis, I agree and disagree with that quote. I think history can repeat itself too, um, maybe in, in slightly different ways. So um, I actually think, you know, if you've heard of our, uh, Balaji's uh, idea maze uh, in the venture world of, you know, the best founders, and I would apply that also to investors uh, are, you know, know everything about a space. They know all the history of what went, worked well in a given sector and what didn't work out well the competitors, uh, you know, the competitive dynamics in a market, uh, the current, you know, leaders in a market uh, and how they're advancing. And they're almost like obsessed with knowing everything about a sector from, you know, historical times to present times. And then in turn, the technological trends leading to potential new uh, future inflection points. So uh, I think it's just the job of anyone in a given space to, to learn as much as you can um, and use that historical context to as a springboard, either for your next thing or to inform, you know, maybe some of the product roadmaps you'll go down versus not go down or, you know, go to market decisions that, that you decide to, to pursue. Yeah, I really like that take. And at Lux now, your focus is on crypto and blockchain infrastructure companies, as well as uh, a bit of data and also machine learning startups. What excites you most about these sectors, Grace? Yeah, and so I, I really focus the next world software infrastructure, uh, and so that's the the picks and shovels and, and tooling, and you know the three main areas exactly as you mentioned. So crypto infrastructure, enterprise infrastructure, fintech infrastructure is where I spend most of my time. Uh, what excites me most about these spaces is they're leveraging true technology, and in many cases where something is leveraging, you know, a new technological insight, a new technological watershed moment, um, and or you know leveraging technology to make the individual experience uh, better. Um, I get, I've always been drawn to things where I can point to technologically, okay, this is better. Uh, or I can say, you know, with a fact, this is a faster way of doing something, or you, know, you can point to more, a clearer ROI. Um, that just seems to be more defensible. And it's a trend of my investing career is even when I was at a generalist fund, uh, I was more drawn to the tech first companies. Uh, in crypto, you know, two things I'd say, one is I've seen so many smart people uh, joining the space, uh, but yet there's a huge mismatch between uh, where crypto is today um, and kind of the infrastructure needed to power it at scale. Um, three main areas where we need help in crypto, among many, but the ones that I'm particularly excited about on the infrastructure side, uh, security. So how do you make sure, you know, smart contracts are deployed securely, uh, less susceptible to hacks, as you've seen many uh, over the past several months? Uh, to scalability. So how do you make sure, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and enough about millions uh, can use these apps uh, in the crypto blockchain world at scale? We're still quite, quite far away from that. Um, and uh, true reliability, right? I always use the example, you know, Alchemy and, and many of these nodes as service providers only have two nines of reliability. And yet, you know, you look at AWS and many of the classic Web2 infrastructure plays, they have like you know, nine nines or ten nines of reliability. And so we're not even at, you know, um, feasible uh, security, reliability or scalability to operate our apps at scale. And so as much as I'm excited about all of the applications on top, I really do think we have to kind of eat our greens and create that infrastructure to enable systems to run at scale. 
you know, fintech and enterprise, you know, uh, similar problems. And a lot of times I'm seeing, you know, enterprise companies uh, or data companies moving into the crypto space or fintech companies, you know, adding crypto rails or vice versa. So in many ways, they all kind of congeal. But on the enterprise side, you know, what's the next gen after the data and ML stack? What are different industries we can apply ML to? Um, what are some more open source and developer first uh, solutions to existing problems? On the fintech side, also get a lot of excited about ML applications there, things with true technological insights um, and trying to, you know, grease the wheels uh, for, for the next generation of financial innovation beyond kind of the, the early thinking of the service plays uh, that have started to take root. Mention these three areas, security, scalability and reliability. What are some of the greatest opportunities within tech, crypto and infrastructure right now that are, you know, being able to tackle these problems? Yeah, um, I'd say kind of three main subsets. Uh, one is the data and developer stack. So just as you, you know, had the data and developer stack in Web 2, we're seeing this emergence of the data and developer stack for Web 3. So these are the picks and shovels to build apps atop of blockchain or, or leveraging data on or off chain. Seems quite some interesting companies, you know, helping index data off the chain, uh, monitor uh, data um, and smart contracts that are deployed. How do you store that data and also leverage the data on the front end? So there's a lot of similarities, but also many differences in that data and developer stack. Uh, two, the security stack. So scenario and simulation planning, uh, smart contract auditing, you know, more automated uh, security at scale, often leveraging you know, things like ML. Uh, you know, prominent companies, many folks have heard of in that space are companies like Gauntlet. Um, and then the risk and compliance stack. So that really gets to, you know, both the, the the security piece and reliability piece. So how do you identify someone is who they are? Uh, you know, know your transaction compliance and risk solutions. Uh, how do you, you know, properly audit financial transactions uh, when you're leveraging cryptocurrency? Um, and then the last piece I would mention is just kind of the, the scalability stack around, you know, ZK rollups, optimistic rollups, leveraging true cryptographic technological innovations uh, to make uh, blockchains um, and everyone interacting, for example, with Ethereum um, have more scalability in, in those interactions. You know, from those examples that you just mentioned, how do you see these industry trends playing out over the next decade? Yeah, uh, well, specific to crypto, um, I think we're we're still early, um, and I think it's always a good reminder uh, because you know I invest in frontier tech and things that are you know cutting edge and exciting, but but often you know do take five to sometimes ten years to mature. Um, how do I see it playing out? One, I've never seen you know a higher concentration of smart people in, in my all bit short investing career um, pouring into a space combined with you know capital and attention and and growing attention not just from you know specific, you know, smaller companies, but, you know, major institutions like your major financial services organizations and, and banks getting more interested in this space. Um, so how do I see it playing out? I think I think about a little bit of the app infrastructure cycle. Uh, so, you know, those VMs are applications that beget infrastructure and infrastructure begets applications, just as we've seen in Web2. I think we're going to see continued speculation, continued crashes in crypto as well. And so I do think there'll be some natural cyclicality to it. But long term, there'll be an increased uh, rising tide of developers, uh, stronger infrastructure um, and, you know, more succinct and, and clear use cases uh, for, you know, data developer security, risk and compliance um, at scale. So I'm really excited for, for crypto to be kind of like a 
a small asset class that a lot of folks end up, you know, having some of their assets in from a retail perspective or institutional perspective. And then also data developers are, are building applications in and around and on top of, you know, increasingly so over time. I'm interested to dive a little bit more into Lux and its history there. Obviously formed 22 years ago, um, lots of history this, this century. I'm really interested to understand Lux's process when finding the most promising companies that are leveraging these breakthrough technologies, Grace? Yeah, so it's a really good question uh, because um, it depends on the technology. It depends a a lot on, you know, our our thesis in the space. Um, One thing I really admire about Lux and one of the reasons why I was so excited to join is we have a highly, highly technical team uh, who really knows their stuff. You know, when I was referencing Lux before I joined, several founders across fields mentioned to me, you know, I chose Lux uh, because they knew their technologies, right? When I talked to founders and reference Lux, they said, you know, I chose Lux because they knew the deepest amount in ML or AI or in the chip space or biotech or digital health. And so that really attracted me to Lux and it really much reflects my investment style. So. As I mentioned before, you know, I focus on software infrastructure, computational sciences. So that's AI, ML, blockchain, fintech, et cetera. Um, and what gets me really excited is is going deep in a space and, and crafting a thesis. So let's take an area, perhaps it's, you know, crypto infrastructure. Um, I'm going to go deep and, and talk to several experts in the space, uh, craft a thesis, uh, make sure I really understand my stuff, go ahead and talk to a bunch of companies building in this space, refine the thesis, go back to the experts and and try to create, you know, oftentimes an actual physical body of work. Uh, in many cases, some folks may have seen my Web3 deck um, in the API space. I made this really pr- pretty comprehensive API thesis. And so I like going deep, um, talking to a lot of folks, iterating that thesis, and then ultimately, you know, choosing, you know, one or two investments in, in a given space or sector that excite me. So going deep technically is critical. Um, and you have to rely on folks who, you know, both know their stuff um, and also, have refined their perspective over time by talking to experts and, and validating, uh, you know, original theses and hypotheses. What would you say, Grace, is the most overlooked sector in VC right now? The ones that no one's talking about uh, and probably ones that you know, <laughs> I, I haven't even named. Right. No, it's true, though. It, it, that get back to the original question is if you're truly inventing the future, it's things that that things that seem crazy to your eye that we wouldn't even expect. I don't know. Maybe it's like teleportation or, you know, my, my colleague, uh, Josh is really interested in, uh, the, how do you recreate a sense of smell? Right. Uh, and so things that are, you know, outworldly and may seem crazy to maybe the human, uh, human view right now. Um, that's what gets, you know, us excited at Lux for sure. And I really do think is the true intention of venture investing is investing in things that are truly inventing the future. No, I, I love those examples there. And I think it's so true, right? It, it's going to be things that are totally, totally wacky, totally, totally out there that are completely unexpected. And I think that's what makes this game so exciting. I'm at least from that grace. Look, I just, Love to bring it back to the present. What's your take on the current fundraising climate right now? Yeah, great question. Um, I was just on a panel, I guess it was two weeks ago, where we chatted exactly about this. And I think it's really interesting to see the markets right now, because I'd argue, at least in the private markets, a lot of folks don't know how to price. Uh, We've seen, obviously, this compression in the public markets, compression in the crypto markets, and we're kind of seeing a 
a delayed effect on the private markets, but but certainly a little bit of a slowdown. Um, I guess first I'd say I do think it's natural, right? Uh, we do live in economic cycles and we are probably a bit overdue uh, for, for a bit of a, a slowdown and, and compression. I think currently uh, we're seeing a lot of investors not know how to price in the private markets. And so I'm seeing a lot of growth rounds, you know, not getting done in part because no one really knows uh, what price a company should be at or what are the true, you know, revenue multiples. Um, and, and so um, those are the two things that I, I would say. Um, and I do think we're probably going to see a more sustained uh, longer term um, probably recession, right, in terms of, you know, the both public and private markets. Um, and, and so I think valuations will come down a bit. Will they go down to, you know, how they were three or four years ago? Perhaps not, but definitely a bit of a compression. There'll be a focus on fundamentals uh, even more than before. Um, and there'll be a focus on, you know, true, you know, traction revenue. Um, so does that really change much to me? No, I mean, I'm still investing in actively investing in, in exciting companies invent, inventing the future. But I do think there's just higher scrutiny across the board on, you know, where is this company's fundamentals at? Do they have true product market fit? How is their go to market motion advancing? And, and how are they being priced, you know, relative to their current traction? With um, recession grace, would this then be a good time for new founders to enter the market and kickstart a new venture? Most definitely. It's never been a better time to build. Uh, I would highly recommend it. Uh, as a result of maybe the compression and maybe, you know, tightening pockets uh, at certain companies or institutions, you're going to have to build a product right now that solves a real problem uh, that people are willing to pay for. And if you're willing, can build a great business with a lot of paying customers in a potential recessionary environment, you probably have very strong product market fit and are solving a really interesting problem. I'm interested to know internally, look, what advice are you giving your portfolio companies whilst weathering the storm? Yeah, uh, so it's been awesome to work with portfolio companies uh, because I think it's uh, a great opportunity also with a bit of a slowdown to spend more time as well, um, just as we always have. But but thinking and helping them work through these things. Um, you know, first, uh, I'm using a, a line from my colleague Josh, but the husband's cash. So we've been telling folks, you know, it's a great time to, to rack up balance sheets, particularly in crypto. If you look at the last, you know, crypto winter, uh, 2017, a lot of the major companies that lasted just had massive balance sheets. So to the extent capital is available, good time to shore up those balance sheets and get yourself in a, in a healthy cash position uh, for, you know, at least the next 12 to 18 months. Um, and, and then, you know, given that, spend your cash wisely. So have a strong, you know, clear hiring plan focused on, you know, efficient growth um, and continue to hire and grow, but but do so efficiently um, relative to where you're at from, you know, attraction revenue perspective, uh, focus, you know, again, on fundamentals and kind of where your, your product is really at. Um, and then three, just like stay focused. You know, I think it can be distracting reading all these things in the media or on tech Twitter of, oh, you know, you know, the markets are so bad or this is so bad and just really focus on building a great product for your customers check in with your customers, continue to iterate to help them um, and and go from there. Then would you have four companies that are looking to raise in this environment, yet after seeing the rich multiples of the last 18 months? Yeah, I think everyone has to be mindful of kind of where the public markets are at, as they always have been. I think the further away you are from the public markets, uh, the less relevant it is to you. You know, if you're a pre-seed founder who just raised around, I don't think that that matters quite as much. Um, but if you're, you know, Series C or Series D company, you know, eyeing that, that IPO, uh, it, it could matter. 
Um, but I think it's, it's good to be mindful of and be, be paying attention to. Although at the end of the day, I'm just telling my companies to stay focused on building a great product uh, that customers love. And then I guess from this, Grace, what excites you most about the future of VC? I get so excited every day to talk to you know, entrepreneurs and again, people solving interesting problems uh, that I never thought of before, right? You know, whether it's in, you know, a specific, you know, area on, on the fintech stack or crypto or, you know, people just really thinking about problems inventing the future that are super passionate about it. So, so the entrepreneurs I talk to every day get me most excited. I do think overall the industry is maturing. Um, and I, I think overall that is you know, positive, right? We are seeing folks and venture funds, you know, get more sophisticated, growing in size and also growing a lot of resources to help companies grow and hopefully, you know, lowering the slope for someone who may be considering starting a company to have those resources, whether they be financial or, or just resources to help them, you know, start the framework of building their own company. Things are maturing a little bit. What well, I'm actually curious to hear, what's your take, Grace, on the rise of the solo GP, those who are leveraging the distribution that they've built on the back end? I mean, I think it's a great data point of the industry maturing, right? Um, you saw this in private equity as well. You know, over time, you're going to see, you know, increased spin outs of other folks starting their own private equity funds. And you're kind of seeing it happen in, in venture capital right now. Um, so what's my perspective on I think it's overall great. You know, I, I think it's healthy for the ecosystem to have, you know, more competition or, and more, you know, GPs that ought their own funds. Um, I think the the key thing is for each of those GPs, you know, what's their differentiated product they're offering, right? And how are they able to market that? And also what's their superpower uh, competing for deals and investor investments? And I think some sole GPs, uh, you know, will, will do better than others based on how well they're able to sell themselves uh, as kind of their your unique asymmetric, you know, attributes and also, you know, sell their value add to founders. Um, so I, I think it's overall a, a really exciting thing for the ecosystem. And then specifically for Lux Grace, what does the future look like for the firm? I couldn't be more excited to join. I think I joined Lux at a, a very ascendant time. Um, and I've just been learning so much from, from the team. And I think that's the, the most important thing. Um, I think we're going to continue to invest in great companies, you know, inventing the future. I think continue to push the frontier continuing to invest and talk to smart folks who are, you know, challenging the status quo and being contrarian. Uh, I'm excited to kind of continue to bolster our efforts in that computational science field. So things that are, you know, truly pushing the edge and are objectively better uh, technological breakthroughs, whether they're an enterprise or crypto, blockchain, cryptography or, or fintech um, and, and continuing to kind of just grow uh, in, in our in investment um, across the globe. What's the greatest lesson you've learned from your investing career so far, Grace? That's a great one. Um, I think probably the best lesson I've learned is it's all about people. And it gets back to something we talked about earlier is, you know, at the end of the day, you have to love the team you work with. You have to, you know, love the entrepreneurs you work with. And you're really just, it's a people game right at the end of the day. Um, and so uh, that's my, my biggest thing. I think people can get lost in the numbers or financials or, you know, whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, just focus on, you know, building great cultures, both, you know, at a venture firm, but also, you know, at your own company and creating an environment where people feel motivated to grow and learn um, and, and kind of, again, uh, be ambitious uh, to push the limits of what's possible. Yeah, I 
can only agree with you there, Grace. It absolutely is all about the people. It's the individuals who are recruiting the talent, raising the money, and ultimately winning the deals. And that's what VC is all about. Um, at least from that, you know, are you optimistic or pessimistic about human nature? Optimistic, but that my disposition is optimistic. So, you know, ask, ask someone else uh, who maybe has a different disposition and they may have a different answer. Uh, I just think, you know, we've never had a more exciting time where, again, a venture industry is maturing. There's a lot of problems in the world, yet there's a lot of smart people uh, and technology breakthroughs. I look at, you know, schools like Stanford, my alma mater, MIT, Berkeley, where there's a lot of really exciting, you know, both academic um, and commercial innovation happening. And so I couldn't be more excited about the future. Um, I I just think it's important to, you know, obviously be mindful uh, and be thoughtful about how we're prioritizing these different innovations and and also be thoughtful of kind of the consequences of all the technology platforms we, we build. But um, no, I'm super optimistic. I like that. And at least if you weren't investing with Lux today, Grace, what would you be working on? That's so funny. I was just talking uh, with a friend about this last night. Um, I get a lot of value out of making connections between people um, and making, you know, impactful connections or fulfilling ones. And um, in many ways, that is a lot of the venture job, right? It's connecting a company to a new hire. Uh, It's connecting, you know, an investor to another investor. It's connecting, you know, uh, a customer to a company. Um, So it's part of my job to a certain extent, but I think I would like to manifest that in other forms if I I didn't do VCs. So maybe that would be headhunting or or matchmaking or something of that nature. Because I really just do drive a lot of fulfillment uh, from making impactful connections between other people. Grace, the matchmaker. I can see that happening. (laughs) Um, Now, you've lived in Japan as well, alongside being an avid runner and cyclist. I want to know, at least from your end, Grace, why is finding a balance in life, whether it's exploring new cultures or enjoying activities, important to you? Yeah, it comes back to something we talked about earlier, right? It's that intellectual curiosity. I love learning. And again, I think everyone, every culture, every country, every person has something to offer. Um, And so I love living life with a bit more of this like childlike curiosity. Um, You know, ironically, I lived in Tokyo when I was a child growing up and um, learned a ton, changed my perspective on many things. And so maybe having that experience so young in life has kind of opened me up to, to wanting to have that experience again, whether it's, you know, spending time internationally, um, learning about areas I've never learned about before, um, and just kind of sharing and growing in knowledge uh, with, with other people. Uh, but it, it's critically important to me. Um, and it's something that I try to find every day. Um, whether it's just through, you know, reading voraciously or, or seeking out, you know, folks who have deep areas of expertise in different sectors. Now, Grace, when you think of success, who is the first person that comes to mind and why? Oh, great question. Um, I think there's many, many people that come to mind immediately. I've always admired uh, Mary Meeker uh, for, you know, how she's kind of charged, uh, charged ahead and kind of not only just become known as such a great investor uh, and founded her own firm as well. But uh, just her history of, of excellence, uh, investing in incredible, you know, category defining companies. Um, I think Katie Hahn is another one that comes to mind, really admire how, what she's built, especially in, in the crypto world. Uh, but it just, you know, again, people that are often willing to, you know, define their own future um, and, and forge ahead and also, you know, have a history of excellence and ambition. 
so, so many of those folks uh, I admire. And those are incredible examples, and at least with, with the likes of Mary, what she's doing over at Bond Capital is uh, truly, truly awesome. Um, and at least to wrap things up on the on the main body of today's podcast, Grace, what does your perfect day look like? Oh, um, great question. Also, um, I'm a big believer in, in routine, um, or at least having, you know, some semblance of routine uh, every day. And so that's quite important to me. Uh, I'm an avid runner, uh, as I think you are too. Um, and so I'm actually training for the New York Marathon right now. So a day for me, uh, you know, usually starts with, with a good runner workout, uh, get into the office, I need my cup of coffee. And I, it's really important to me to have time for, for deep work and thinking. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of venture is meeting people and making connections and emails, and that's all great. Uh, but it's important to have that protected thinking time for me uh, early in the morning. Um, and then otherwise, you know, a few coffees with, with either, you know, friends, colleagues, investors, companies, um, and, you know, having a, a good meal or two or sharing that over lunch or dinner is always important to me. Um, and then having, you know, nice wind down time as well to, to read and kind of recap on the day. Um, so that'd be the perfect day. Um, I, I feel very lucky because that's that's my day most days. Um, and a lot of my days are just meeting and spending time with really cool, awesome, interesting people. But the thing I'd point out is just, you know, making sure I'm in a good mental space and getting that workout in and also having that time to to deep think uh, amidst, you know, all the hubbub of, of meetings and board meetings and, and coffee meetings that, you know, any investor has in a given day. Balancing that introspection with the building element super important there grace but sounds like a great day well we have come to the end now but this has been a real delight to do so thank you for joining me thanks so much for having me enjoy the conversation